0: Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by my Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. This Monday Night Raw will be the last Raw until Hell in a Cell, which will happen this Sunday. And we start off with Becky Lynch coming out to the ring for her in-ring promo. Becky's out here to gloat how she was added to the Women's Championship matchup at Hell in a Cell last week by beating Asuka. Becky talks about how the audience preyed on her downfall, but she uses that as fuel to keep her focus on gaining back her Raw Women's Championship. Becky would then show pictures of when Asuka won the Money in the Bank in 2020 and then show a photo of the next night on Raw when she had to give up the Raw Women's Championship to Asuka because she went off to create life meaning that she had her baby. She was pregnant at the time. Becky would say in that moment, she created a monster in Asuka of thinking that she could get anything she wanted, basically being entitled to things because Oscar got uh, a championship match with Bianca Belair just out of nowhere. That's where Becky brought that up. Asuka will come down to the ring, confront Becky on what she said. Asuka will call Becky a big-time baby, and then Oscar will say nobody's ready for Asuka, not Bianca, and not Becky, and that she plans on being champion. Bianca will then come down to the ring and confront both of the ladies. Bianca will mention that if anybody out here should be mad, it's her, because she has to defend her championship against both of the ladies at Hell in the Cell. Bianca will tell Asuka that she respects her, but she did kick her in the head last week, and she's going to be paying her back for that in their match next. Uh, Bianca would then close her statement by saying that she doesn't care what her odds are at Hell in a Cell. She was going to keep her championship, and then she'd look at Becky when she says this, and if she and if need be, she would drop Becky just like she did at WrestleMania to do so. Becky would slap uh, uh, Bianca, then Asuka would rush Becky into a corner and start punching her. Bianca would then run over, shove Asuka off of Becky, and start punching Becky, saying she's mine. Asuka would then run over, shove Bianca off of uh, Becky and start punching Becky. Then we would get Bianca running back, shove Asuka off, and then you would see her look at Asuka in the face. And then Becky will rush over, hit Asuka in the face. Bianca would grab Becky in position for the KOD and hoist her over her shoulders, over to the ropes, throw her out of the ring. Becky will land on the ring apron. Asuka would run over and hit Becky with a hip attack. Becky will fall to the mat. This will lead to Bianca and Asuka having their match right now with Becky Lynch going to commentary for this matchup. Bianca would win the match by pinfall when Bianca hit Asuka with the glam slam and then went for a handspring moonsault but missed when Asuka moved out of the way. Asuka would try to get Bianca in a cradle pin but Bianca would reverse it and pin Asuka for the win. After the match, Becky would quickly get off commentary, get in the ring, throw Bianca out of the ring, quickly grab Asuka, hit her with a T-bone suplex, then Bianca would rush back into the ring, and uh, Becky would quickly grab Bianca and hit the man slam, which is the rock bottom, on Bianca, then leave the ring. So this is adding momentum for Becky Lynch into their triple threat women's matchup. At Hell in the Cell for the Raw Women's Championship. After this situation, we would get a six man tag match. The Mysterios and Ezekiel going against Alpha Academy and Kevin Owens. Ezekiel will win the match for his team by pinfall when Ray was going to hit Kevin Owens with a 6 but Kevin Owens ducked. Ray Mysterio will land in the ring on his feet, and KO looked to hit Ray with a super kick, but Ray ducked the super kick, and Kevin Owens ends up hitting Chad Gable. Gable would drop to the second rope, and he would end up getting hit with a double superkick for the Mysterios. Gable would then uh, get sent into Ezekiel, and Ezekiel would lift up Gable and hit a delayed vertical spiral suplex for the win. So this is giving Ezekiel momentum into his match against Kevin Owens at Hell in a Cell, and Kevin Owens would flip out because he didn't mean to superkick Chad Gable, but you see Alpha Academy just looking at Kevin Owens after the match, basically stating that they lost because of Kevin Owens' mistake, and Kevin Owens just started flipping out. He started uh, hitting the commentary table, flipping the top off the commentary table, and he will walk up to Jimmy Smith because Jimmy Smith, I believe, had a smirk on his face, and Kevin Owens start saying, you think this is funny? And you just see Kevin Owens have all red in his face. So, again, this is to give Kevin Owens and Ezekiel some momentum into their matchup about So. After this, it's time for Cody Rose to come out for an in-ring promo. Uh, Cody's out here. He's out here to sell up his match against Seth at Hell in a Cell inside the t- structure. Cody starts off by saying that he's a big fan of Seth Rollins. I know that might be shocking for people to hear, but it's true. He says that he always knew that Seth had potential because when he saw Seth, he had it written all over him. And even his father saw that in him and he would talk about Seth up to Cody. So when Cody left, Seth ascended and surpassed that potential. And Cody talks about how when he got the opportunity to come back to WWE and he got the opportunity to go against Seth, he admitted that he was afraid, but he went and beat Seth at Mania. They ran him back at play, uh, Backlash. He beat Seth there. And Cody just can't understand why Seth is making this so personal. You will hear Seth Rollins' music hit and Cody's waiting for Seth to come down the entrance way, but Seth doesn't come down the entrance way. He makes his way through the crowd, through the stairs, and this is basically
1: the highlights of what Seth had
0: to tell Cody.
1: You left WWE six years ago because you weren't good enough, and then every single day that you were gone. You and your little friends, you tried to tear down what I was building here. And when that didn't work out so well for you, you came running back. The prodigal son returns home to fulfill his family legacy. Not on my watch, pal. You don't get to be the conquering hero in my kingdom. Oh No, 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 you don't get to take a sledgehammer to the throne and then come back and try to take that throne from me. I'm gonna say it again. I don't like you. I don't want you here and six days inside Helena in Cell. I'm gonna prey on your insecurities, and I'm not just going to change you, Cody. I'm going to end you. so as you hear from
0: Seth talking about how much he can't stand Cody from Cody leaving because he wasn't good enough to him now coming back, and Seth even mentions the breaking of the throne and taking uh coming here to try to take Seth's throne, that is a shot from whenever whenever uh, AEW had their first ever pay-per-view at Double or Nothing 2019, Cody Rose would smash a mock-up throne of Triple H's with a sledgehammer, and that was like the biggest, like, oh-my-god moment of 2019 AEW uh, Double or Nothing. And he also mentioned how uh, Cody and his little friends would try to tear down the WWE, and that predates... All Elite Wrestling, that's whenever Cody literally left WWE, he started hooking up with the Bucks, and he started showing up on um, the Bucks being the Elite YouTube show, and they would just throw shots here and there at WWE, whether it be uh shots about creative, or the infamous Cody with the ear meme, or even Cody with the FFTR, and that at the time was meaning screw the Revival, and the Revival was the top tag team in WWE. So again, Cody was throwing some shots at WWE. So Seth has to mention that because that's all rings true. And now Cody's back in WWE. Seth can't stand it. How WWE's treating Cody as he's the big kahuna. He's the big top guy. Almost reminisces to the way that people in AEW, aka Kingston and um, MJF and Hangman's talking about CM Punk. So I put a whole lot of of. side-by-side comparisons to the Punk situation and the Cody situation with WWE. If you just remember, Hangman on the last episode of AEW uh, Dynamite Wednesday, he last Wednesday, he talked about how he was defending all elite wrestling from CM Punk because he was afraid that uh, Punk would turn it into a cesspool area. And now we got to see what will happen there. But That's basically what Seth's trying to do. He's trying to defend WWE from Cody because he can't stand how Cody's here, so we will have to see what that happens. Anyway, he says all this. He's trying to uh, prey on Cody's insecurities, and he talks about how at Hell in a Cell, he hopes to end this nightmare that we are in. Cody gets the mic, and he says, you know what? What's stopping me from getting to you right now? He says, you think these three ropes and a barricade is stopping me? stopping me from getting to you, and again, Cody's throwing another shot back at WWE creative to what everybody knows is that in WWE, you technically can't get out of the ring and jump into the crowd and fight in the audience uh, situation, he peeped at whenever he was uh, going against Jericho in AEW, in the early stages of AEW in 2019, again, when they had this exact same promo, Cody was in the ring, Jericho was in the uh, box seats, and... Cody talked to Jericho and said, well, you think that I can't get to you? This is not our former place of work where they had an invisible wall that you couldn't get through. No, I can easily step out of this ring, get up the crowd, and start going to you. So, instead of Cody going into the crowd this time, like he did to Jericho, he played by the WWE rule book and he told Seth to get into the ring, and we can handle the stuff right now. Seth says, oh, you want me to get into the ring? So, he starts mugging his way downstairs." He goes to the barricade, he has one foot over, and then he says, nah. And then he turns back around, Cody would jump out of the ring, jump the barricade, and then he starts going after Seth, and they have a brawl in the uh, audience section. They would brawl so much, and then you see Cody spear Seth through the barricade, and then you would see them fight next to the commentary table, and then you see backstage officials coming, running down, and trying to separate both Seth and Cody. They will separate both of them until both men try to get back and fight each other. They will do this two times until they finally got enough time to separate both men. And you basically, that was it. And then in a big brawl, Cody and Sev being separated by uh, backstage officials and referees. Again, this is adding fuel to their Hell in a Cell match Sunday. And uh, I believe this should have been the ending segment of Monday Night Raw. For me personally, that's what I believe. After this, you had Alexa Bliss going against Dewdrop, who had Nikki ASH in her corner. Alexa will win the match by Pinfall when dewdrop will go for the Vader bomb on Alexa, but Alexa will move out of the way. And dewdrop will hit the mat. Alexa will then go to the top turnbuckle and hit Twisted Bliss, which is a turning sideway body slam. Well body splash on Dewdrop for the win. And Alexa now is still undefeated since coming back. Um then we get Miss TV and Ms. guest for this segment was the Street prophets. The Street prophets basically would clown Miz and not let Miz get a word in edgewise because they take Miz's mic and then they will start previewing the card of Hell in a Cell. And as they're doing this, they're making the Miz look foolish. They even pull the, it doesn't matter what you think, when they ask Miz what does he think about the Hell in a Cell card. And you would then get chaos ensuing where Dana Brooke would... Pop the barricade as you will see Tazawa following her with a referee because Dana Brooke is the 24-7 championship and you know what this is going into. Uh You will see Jack or better known as T-Bar, R-Truth, Tamina, Apollo Cruz, coming down to try to take the 24-7 championship. Ultimately, Tamina would hit Dana Brooke with a Samoan drop, cover her to win the 24-7 championship. Tazawa would give Tamina the thumbs up. And then you would see Tamina lift Tazawa to his feet. Look at him as Tozawa puckered his lips. Tamina would kiss Tozawa, and then you would see Tozawa and Tamina lift up their arms in the air. Tozawa would then tie his arms in with Tamina's, and then he'd get her with a backslide pin to pin her and win the 24 7 championship. And then he would run out of the ring and run to the back. So, Ms. TV here was just basically to promote Miz's, uh Ms. and Mrs. Show that's coming out next week after Raw. And this 24 7 uh championship uh, hijinks here after this we get mustafa ali going against champa and if ali wins he gets a future u.s championship matchup theory was on commentary for this matchup ali would win the match by dq when ali was going to the top turnbuckle to hit some type of move on champa but theory will leave the commentary table and get on the ring apron grab ali by the leg pull him off the turnbuckle and have ali's uh jaw hit the apron the referee will see this, call for the bell. That's how Ali gets the win by DQ. Theory will continue to beat up on Ali, throw him into the ring post, and then you will see Theory grab a mic and say a win by DQ might be a coward's way to win, but a win is a win. And he just throws it out there. Why wait to have your championship match later? Well, we could do it right now so Ali would get his U.S. championship matchup right now against Theory. Theory, however, would win the match by pinfall, When Ali would hit a Tornado DDT on Theory, then go up to the top turnbuckle, Theory would get up, hit the ropes, dropping Ali on the turnbuckle, and then you see Theory grab Ali and hit the A-Town down, which is a uh, shoulder fireman's carry into a knee drop. And Theory pins Ali, and he was and retains the U.S. Championship. After the match, Adam Pearce would come out and let Theory know that it was clever of him to... Go against Ali whenever Ali is already bat- beaten and battered, but per Mr. McMahon's orders, he will be defending that United States Championship against Ali at Hell in the Cell. So we have another matchup at Hell in the Cell added. After this, we would get Riddle and Nakamura going against the Usos, and if Nakamura and Riddle will win, they would get a tag title match down in the future. Nakamura and Riddle would win the match by disqualification when Riddle had his head leaning on the second rope, and Jimmy would hit Riddle in the face with Riddle's scooter, but the scooter handles, and the ref would see it and call for the bell. Once that happens, you see the Usos talk to each other, and you see them go to separate uh, turnbuckles, and you see them looking to hit a double Uso splash on Riddle, but Nakamura would get in the ring and kick Jimmy off of the turnbuckle, and then you see Riddle get up, run towards Jay on the top turnbuckle, and hit a super RKO, And then you see the Usos retreating, so Nakamura and Riddle do get a future Unified Tag Team Championship opportunity, well, matchup. After this, you get Liv Morgan going against Rhea Ripley, and later in the the matchup, you see AJ coming out to support Liv Morgan as Damian Priest is out there to support Rhea Ripley. Liv would win the match by pinfall when Rhea was going for the Riptide, but Liv escaped out of it and hit Rhea with a backstabber and then rolled up Rhea for the win. After the match, AJ would raise the arm of Liv in victory, but then you see Damien Priest grab AJ's legs, drag him out of the ring, and throw him into the barricade. Liv would yell at Priest to stop, and Priest would get in the ring and start stalking Liv Morgan. And as Liv is fearing Priest, you see, well, you hear the fans cheering, and you see Finn run into the ring and start punching Priest, and then hit Priest with a sling blade to take him down. Rhea would then start getting up and then she start feeling that she is surrounded by AJ and Finn and Liv Morgan. But Rhea will only see AJ and Finn because Liv was on the top turnbuckle. And once Rhea was done focusing on AJ and Finn and turned around, Liv would jump and hit a dropkick on Rhea and that would kick Rhea out of the ring. Priest would start getting to his feet and you, this would be the perfect opportunity for AJ to hit Priest with a phenomenal forearm. And then you see Finn... Drag Priest over to the turnbuckle, and then you see Finn get to the top turnbuckle. and hit the coup de grace on Priest, and now you have two-thirds of the Judgment Day laid out while Finn, Liv, and AJ throw the two sweet in the air. Now it's time for the main segment of the night. The contract signing between Bobby Lashley, Omos, and MVP. This will solidify Bobby's match against Omos at Hell in a Cell to be a 2-on-1 matchup with MVP joining Omos to take on Bobby, per uh, the stipulations last week, because MVP beat Bobby Lashley by ring out, and now MVP gets to pick the match stipulation. So MVP tells Lashley that they shouldn't have even gotten to this point, because he got Bobby everything that he ever wanted, but here they are in a hell in a cell, there is a brutal beating waiting for Bobby. He claims that the almighty era was started because of him, and since he is no longer with Lashley, he will put it into it. Lashley tells MVP that he never needed him, but he realized that MVP was a leech and he had to get rid of him. Everybody would sign the contract. MVP would tell Lashley why wait until hell in the cell and yells, Omas. Omas, and MVP, would stand up. Lashley would then stand up and he flips over the table. Adam Pierce would yell for security to get in the ring to stop them. You see the security get in the ring, you see them, one half of the security group. Move Lashley into one corner. You see the other half try to move Omos into the other corner, but Omos beats up on the security. Lashley would beat up on his security that's holding him, and then you will see Lashley and Omos have a stare down with each other. You would think that the both of the big men are about to lock up, but Cedric Alexander would sneak into the ring and chop block Lashley behind the leg and then hit a handstand in Zagiri. Omos would then try to charge Lashley, but Lashley would counter that and put Omos in the corner. Cedric would run towards Lashley, but Lashley would hit Cedric with a one-handed suplex, and this took care of Cedric out of the situation. Omos would then big boot Lashley. MVP would get in the ring and start choking Lashley. MVP would tell Omos to go outside the ring and get a table, which Omos does. Once Omos gets the table, he gets back in the ring with the table, sets the corner, sets the table up in the corner, and then lifts up Lashley to hit, try to hit a power slam through the table. But Lashley would slip out of Omos's hands, lands on his feet, Omos would turn around, and Lashley would spear Omos through the table, ending Raw, and that's how Raw ends, with Lashley staring down MVP as MVP is outside of the ring, and Omos got smashed through the table. So that adds more fuel to their fire for their matchup at Hell in a Cell. For me, personally, I think the Cody and Seth segment should have ended Monday Night Raw. I had no problem with the Omos and uh Lashley, MVP, save it, but that's not the main thing on Monday Night Raw. The main thing is Cody right now, so Cody should have ended Monday Night Raw, but that's just my uh, op- opinion for what should have happened at the end of Monday Night Raw. Now it's time for NXT. NXT opens up with a tag team match that we should have got last week. It is Roderick Strong and Damon Kemp of Diamond Mine going against Pretty Deadly. Pretty Deadly would win the match by pinfall when Elton Prince would go outside of the ring and grab the tag titles and hand one of the titles to Kit Wilson. The ref saw Prince get in the ring and while this was happening, Kit was waiting for Roddy to get up and hit him with the championship belt. But the Creed brothers would run down to the ring and Brutus Creed would get on the ring apron and tell the referee what was happening. You would then see Kit Wilson run over to try to hit Roddy with the championship belt, but Julius Creed would push Roddy out of the way and end up taking the hit. Roddy would then roll up Kit, but Kit will ro- kick out of the pin. Roddy would then ask the Crees, what are they doing here? Because Roddy told them before the match started that he uh, doesn't need them. They have the night off. The Creed's try to tell him that they were out here to help him. And once Roddy turned around, Kit Wilson picked him up and pretty deadly hit spilt milk. To win the matchup and spilt milk is basically the heart attack, which is basically somebody holding their partner, uh, their opponent up while their partner would run over and hit a clothesline. But instead of a clothesline, they hit a neck breaker. So that's what happens here. Um we later in the night, we would get a backstage promo with the diamond mine, and Roddy was not happy with the creeds because they disobeyed his orders by not staying in the back. Roddy will let them know that he is the leader of Diamond Mine, and failure is not an option. And he wants them to beat Pretty Deadly at In Your House for the tag titles. Because if they don't, the Creeds will be out of Diamond Mind. So that adds another wrinkle to this whole situation between Diamond Mind. After this, we would get a video of a meeting between Tony D'Angelo and his group. And Legato de Fantasma on a yacht. The main thing about this meeting is that they can't stand each other. That's obvious. And Tony D'Angelo wants to end this. Tony wants to have another match but Elektra tells Tony that he's already lost against Santos already, so why should they agree to another one? Tony would then raise the stakes and tell Santos that it will be a six-man tag match. Tony and his two guys going against Santos and his two guys. And if Santos win, Tony and his group will work under Legato to Fantasma. But if Tony wins, Legato will work underneath Tony. Santos agrees to the match, so we would now get that match at In Your House this Saturday. After this segment, we would get Cora Jade going against Electra Lopez. Cora Jade would win the match by pinfall when she goes to the top turnbuckle and hit a senton on Lopez for the win. It was an okay matchup. After this, we had Wesley going against Zion Quinn. West would win the match by pinfall when Zion threw Wes into the second turnbuckle like a dart, and then you see Wes come out of that looking groggy, and you see Zion looking to hit his finisher, which is a running forearm. But Wes would roll up Zion as he ran towards him, and Wes would get the win by that. So Wes used Zion's speed against him to win the matchup. Zion versus Wesley was basically big man versus small man, basically the muscular guy going against speed and power. And that's all Wesley's matches have technically been for the past couple situations. Him going against Von Wagner, power versus speed. Uh, Him versus Gensanga last week. It was uh, Big Man versus Little Man. And now him versus Zion this week. Muscle versus Speed. It seems to me that we're trying to give Wesley some type of obstacles to overcome because he's trying to overcompensate for something. That's the character element that we're trying to get with Wesley here. I get it. We haven't seen that in a minute. So I would like to see where we're going with this next Because I'm not sure if Sangha's going to be teaming up with Wesley after this. Because before the match happened, Sangha gave Wesley some words of encouragement. I'm not sure we're going to try to make Wes and Sangha a thing. I just would like to see Wes just kind of be on by himself for right now. And see where we could go with this uh, complex of Wesley just trying to take out people uh, that are bigger than him. I want to see where we go with that. After this, we have the championship summit between Toxic Attraction, Katana, Kaden Carter, and Wendy Chu. The main thing about this summit was that Katana and Kaden were here to take the tag titles away from Gigi and JC because they mentioned how Toxic Attraction has been talking for eight months, and now it's their time to take the tag titles away from Gigi and JC. While on the other hand, Mandy wanted people to put respect on her name because she has held the women's championship for 200 days and counting, longer than anybody expected, and she's here basically to get her respect. As Mandy was monologuing, the fans would chant, sign the contract towards her, because she was the only person out of the group that did not sign that contract yet, and Wendy Chu would also be stating, just sign the contract. So the fans were constantly chanting, sign the contract towards Mandy. Mandy would end up Signing the contract, and as she was about to keep talking, you would see Wendy shoot a spitball at Mandy, and then you would see chaos happen with all six ladies. Caden and Katana took care of Gigi and JC when they threw them out of the ring and then jumped on them. Then you would see Mandy be on top of Wendy and start punching her until Caden and Katana get back in the ring and pull Mandy off of Wendy. They hit a code breaker and then a super kick on Mandy, Katana and Kaden will then get a table, put Mandy on it, and then you see Wendy getting on the top turnbuckle, jump off of it, and crash onto Mandy through the table. Then you see Katana, Kaden, and Wendy Chu hold up the NXT Women's Tag Titles and the Women's Championship, signaling that they're going to be the new champions come in your house this Saturday. After this, you will have a matchup between Solo Nikoa going against Duke Hudson. Solo Sakoa will win the match by pinfall when Solo will hit the Uso splash off the top turnbuckle on Duke Hudson for the win. This was a solid match. This match came about because earlier in the night you saw Solo talking to Cameron Grimes, giving him words of encouragement, telling him to beat uh, Carmelo Hayes at In Your House because he has next. Duke Hudson told them that, hey, he got next against the NXT champion. And you see Duke try to downplay Solo Sikoa's, uh situation. Solo told him that you can't say nothing because you won by disqualification last week against LeBron, so that technically doesn't count. Duke tells Solo that you would not understand none of this because you're not in my league, so that's the reason why we had this matchup. So this shows that Solo isn't in Duke's league; he's above Duke. After this, you have Josh Briggs going against Grayson Waller. Waller will win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Von Wagner. Once Josh would tackle waller out of the ring and then you see josh turn around and you see von wagner on the ring apron you see josh big boot wagner off the apron and then you see him put his attention back onto Grayson waller but once he does this waller hits his rolling stunner on josh briggs for the win after the match von wagner would get in the ring and start punching on briggs and you see von grab briggs by his arm and throw it into the ring apron Von Wagner would then go underneath the ring to get a steel chair, but before he could use it, Brooks Jensen, Josh Briggs' tag partner, would get in the ring and start kicking uh Wagner to get away from him. Robert Stone and Sophia Cromwell would be out uh at the ring at this time, right next to Von Wagner. And then you see Sophia put her arm out to Von to tell him not to get back in the ring. So this tells you that Sophia has the power to stop Von Wagner, and Von Wagner's technically. Going to listen to Sophia, even though he is managed by Robert uh Robert Stone. That is one different dichotomy because we haven't seen so much of Sophia on the television on NXT so much. The only time we see her is whenever she gotta stop Von Wagner from beating up somebody or instructing him to do a lot of damage. Her having a bigger part of NXT is going to be somewhere down the line in the future. When they're going to do it, I don't know when, but it's gonna be great to see when we do see it of this, we have Ivy now going against Katana James. Ivy would win the match by pinfall when she hit Katana with an exploiter suplex for the win. After the match, Pretty Deadly would come out and start congratulating Ivy, but ask her, what is she going to do when Diamond Mine closes up, when the Kree brothers lose them at in your house? The Kree brothers would get in the ring, stand next to Ivy, and you see Pretty Deadly tell them they'll see them this Saturday. The Kree brothers would grab Pretty Deadly, toss him in the ring, start attacking him, then clothesline them out of the ring, and then you see the Kree brothers hold up the NXT Tag Titles in the air to signal that they're going to be your next NXT Tag Champions by in your house this Saturday. Now it's time for the main event of NXT, Cameron Grimes going against Nathan Frazier with Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams on commentary. Cameron Grimes would win the match by pinfall when Nathan Frazier was on the top turnbuckle and he was looking to hit the Phoenix Splash, but Cameron Grimes would run it up and hit a German Suplex off the top turnbuckle and then hit the cave-in on Nathan Frazier for the win. After the match, Trick and Mello will leave the commentary table and try to attack Grimes, but it will be to no avail because because Cameron Grimes will get the best of them and sending them on their way up the ramp. So this leads into In Your House this Saturday where Cameron Grimes will be defending his North American championship against Carmelo Hayes, who ultimately will have Trick Williams in his corner. So again, this, this was to amp up their matchup at In Your House to be one that I want to see personally because I want to see if Carmelo is going to beat Cameron Grimes. I have a feeling that he's not because Cameron Grimes technically still just in his... He's still fresh as a North American champion. But with this NXT, you don't know what could happen because we don't know if we're going to pull that trigger on Cameron Grimes turning and being a bad guy. We don't know if he's going to do that against uh, Carmelo... This Saturday at in your house, or is he gonna do that against Solo Sokoa? If my if I had my way, I'll say he'll probably do that whenever he goes against Solo Sokoa. But again, that was your NXT wrestling highlights of the week. Now onto AEW Dynamite. Dynamite will open up with a trios tag matcher, better known as a six-man tag. It is now your new AEW World Champion CM Punk teaming up with the Ring of Honor Tag Champions FTR, better known as Brett's Kids. Well, that's the group name that they would like to call themselves going against Max Caster and the Gun Club, which had Billy Gunn and Anthony Bowens in their corner. Punk and FTR would win the match by pinfall when Punk would hit the GTS on Austin Gunn, which led to FTR hitting the big rig on Austin for the win. Um, This match was straight. It was a nice opener for AEW Dynamite. The one thing that happened in this match yet again was CM Punk failing to do one move. He tried to do the springboard Clothesline, I believe, onto Max Castor, but he slipped off the ropes and he knew it, and he started like throwing forearms, and he like did a clothesline. He went up to the top rope. He about to do his whole uh, elbow drop, and he looks into the camera and he says, "I'm sorry," and then he does the elbow drop. And uh, after the match, you see Punk get on the mic and he mentions that he has to get better, and that's what the AEW World Championship is all about but he will learn as time progresses. He says you can call whatever you want, but you have to call him champion. Punk would then hand the mic over to Dax, and Dax mentions that his family is in the crowd, and his family is the most important thing to him besides professional wrestling, and he talks about how the Ring of Honor tag titles means a lot to him, and he kind of diverts to over what happened last week, and he mentions how anybody, whether you're from another company or whether you're in the same company, you could come out and fight them, so FTR is open for anybody to come and fight them for the Ring of Honor Tag Titles. Padax Dax within hand, CM Punk back the mic, And Punk says that this will now lead us to New Japan Pro Wrestling and the Forbidden Door event that's coming up soon. He knows we got a pay-per-view to sell. He says, I know my opponent from Forbidden Door is back there, so come on out, which will lead to Hiroshi Tanahashi to challenge CM Punk for the AEW World Championship at Forbidden Door. That's what it's lead to. I'm not sure if it's for the the world title, but those two will be having a match at Forbidden Door. After this, we will get a surprising, at least in my personal opinion, MGF in-ring promo. It was advertised on Twitter, and it was advertised on the show. I was shocked by it, because whenever you do a stretcher situation, whenever somebody gets stretchered out of the arena, they're usually off television for about a good solid weeks or months. Nah, MGF comes right back after getting stretchered, at Double or Nothing, he's here. Uh, he gradually gets the mic and he mentions how he's in a lot of pain right now, but he says that nobody cares about that. The only thing you guys wanna hear from me is to hear me talk. So that's what you're gonna get. But this isn't MGF talking, this is Maxwell Freeman talking. And I'm about to play you the highlights of what Maxwell basically said to AEW and uh, his boss. Do you guys
1: know who the second biggest minute for minute draw is in this entire company? It's me! It's me! And if you don't believe me, do me a favor. Ask stat boy Tony in the back, see what he's got to say. But whatever you do, don't ask him to reach into his pockets and pay the man who's been busting his ass for him since day one! No, 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 no. Make sure he hoards all that money. Make sure he hoards all that money so he can give it to all the new ex-WWE guys he keeps bringing in. That can't lace my goddamn boots!
0: So as you hear from Max, he, uh, he lit it up. I can play you everything because there is, you can find it on YouTube. AEW has not like officially released it on their YouTube page, uh, But Max is upset, as it's already been speculated for a good solid month. He's been talking about it for a couple months now, how his contract is almost up technically in 2024 and we're in 2022. So you still got a whole year and a couple months left. But he's letting everybody know my contract is up in 2024 and uh, I'm tired of this because he wants to get paid more. He wants to get paid That's basically what this whole thing comes down to. Max is tired of not getting paid what he deems worthy to him because he sees all these WWE, ex-WWE guys, I'm sorry, coming in, and uh, they're getting paid a lot. And for him, he's been in AEW, literally from ground zero, from day one of AEW. Being the guy that majority of the fan base, including myself, for a minute didn't know about him. I knew about him from CZW, but other than CZW situations... I didn't know much of Maxwell Freeman, but from day one in AEW, he's been here. He mentioned how uh, when AEW started, AEW was all friends wrestling because everybody here got a golden ticket except him. He's talked about how he's had to hit a grand slam because he's expected to be great, not just good, while everybody gets to coast off of being just good. He also mentioned how the fans' opinions are dog crap because one minute they don't like him, but the next minute they do. He refers to when people at one point didn't think he could wrestle, but now they see he can wrestle. Now they're cheering for him. Uh, he would also go into the fact that he doesn't care about star ratings. That's a shooting a shot over at David Meltzer because that's what the fans and the wrestlers care about. He doesn't care about New Japan wrestling. Matter of fact, rephrase that he says what is it because i don't watch new japan wrestling that's why you guys don't like me is because i don't drop my opponents on their heads is because i'm trained unlike your faves i mean mjf was going off and letting the AEW fans technically kind of what he really feels about him to a degree i understand some of this stuff is like not going to say scripted out but like pinpointed for him but i but with the whole mjf's character and mjf situation i guarantee you he doesn't watch New Japan. Not like that. He'll probably sneak a glimpse at of it probably once or two, but he ain't like the people in All Elite Wrestling that watch New Japan and like has a knowledge of the product. I guarantee you, he doesn't know it like that. And then that leads him to his boss, Tony Khan, hoarding money, not giving it to him, busting his back to be the best person there. And you heard this thing. He said, I'm the best second person stat by stat for a minute per minute, second per second on the show people glance and look at me. I'm the best here. And the first, I believe, is probably CM Punk. He says the second, but he doesn't really mention the first. But if it's CM Punk, you can basically say MJF is technically the top dog because every week MJF is there. MJF has a predominant spot on AEW Dynamite. He's there in your face. So he has a legitimate grievance to actually gripe and complain about. But This will lead to the grand crescendo to him basically shooting a shot and ultimately telling his boss what he wants.
1: I don't want to wait till 2024, but you don't listen to me. So allow me to make it a little bit easier for you. Tony, I want you to fire me. Look at me, Tony. Look at me. I want you to fire me. You fucking mark. Fire me. Fire me.
0: Now, for the people that don't know what Mark is. Mark, in professional wrestling terms, in the better term of is that basically another word for fan. And that's what he called Tony Khan, you fan. He wants Tony to fire him. So he goes on that whole tirade, and by the way, that's from the Fight TV app. That uncensored version, because when you got it on broadcast, like TNT, they don't let that F-bomb, like, fall. No, 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 no. They censored that out. They censored that at the perfect time, so I wanted to give you guys the uncensored version um, he does this, they cut his mic, he throws the mic down, we go to commercial break, and what we don't see, but fans like record it in the audience, and we see it online, is that CM Punk will come out, he'll walk down to the ring, and he, as soon as he tries to get on the ring apron, Max will leave the ring, he'll walk through the crowd, Punk tries to follow him, he doesn't jump over the barricade, but he just walks over there, and then he just looks at Max, and then he just walks back. So, this could turn into something later, but I see Max literally being off television for a good solid. If he's not off television after this, I don't know what we're doing, personally. I thought he was going to be off television when he got power bombed 10 times by Evan Warlow, but he was here, and he had to deliver this big whole thing up, like his big power pipe bomb, his nuke, if you will, for his situation. I mean, it was good, and it got the people talking. As a matter of fact, AEW doesn't mention it that whole night. And that's the funny part. They really try to lean into it, like lean, lean into it. Because when something happens, they usually make notice of something. No. I mean, after we get back to commercial break and we get to our next match and match is on, you don't hear the commentary team mention anything about MJF or anything else. So, I mean, we're going to see how far they take this story with MJF basically battling Tony Khan. I don't know where this is going to lead us to, but uh, I'm on for the ride. After this, it in <laughs> irony, it will be two former WWE guys going against each other. It will be Johnny Elite, formerly known as John Morrison in WWE, going against the returning, the Redeemer, Miro, formerly known as Rusev. And this was Miro's match here. Miro will win the match by submission when he super kicks Johnny then locks in the game over the camel clutch and he leans into it and he like leans on the back of Johnny to the point that Johnny would have to tap out so Miro is back in AEW long awaited return by the way because everybody was clamoring for Miro to come back shoot I was one of them because I didn't know when we were going to see him and I'm glad that we uh, get to see Miro back here. Now it's time for the Jericho Appreciation Society to come out for their in-ring promo. Everybody comes out from the Jericho Appreciation Society except Daniel Garcia because he has a match against John Moxley in the main event. Um, they come out here to gloat about their winning at Anarchy in the Arena matchup. And one of the members of 2.0 even hit a I want everybody to appreciate us. He's basically doing a rip-off of Roman Reigns acknowledge me. So Jericho mentions how they beat up and how they are beat up and uh, talk about how Kingston came down to the ring with gasoline and double or nothing, tried to burn him. And he asked what type of man does that? He mentions how Brian wanted to kick his head off his shoulders, but in the end, Jericho and Hager made him pass out. You would hear Jericho and gloat and all that smaz. Then you see Eddie Kingston and Regal walk out on the stage and you see Kingston just in shorts and shirt. And he's just ready to try to come down there and fight every single one of them. Kingston, We'll say that Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson, I'm sorry, isn't talking to him at the moment. He hasn't seen Moxley in days. He calls Ortiz a monkey. That's his name for Ortiz. He says monkeys talking to him. He doesn't mention Santana. That's the weird thing. He doesn't mention Santana and then Santana is Ortiz's partner, and he doesn't mention Santana. I want to see where we're going to lead him with that. But, um, he says he wants to fight all of them right now, but he wants to fight them in a specific match. He then hands the mic off the Regal, and Regal gives us all what we've been waiting for, and he says Blood and Guts. And when he says Blood and Guts, it doesn't have the same effect as War Games, because War Games is an iconic symbolism for you-know-what's coming up. Blood and Guts just doesn't have that exact same feel. We all wanted it, but when he came out and said it, it just didn't hit right. Uh... Kingston and Riga will make their way to the back, but then you see Kingston start walking back to the ring. Jericho says that that match isn't going to happen, and he tells his boys to attack Kingston. So you see Kingston get a three-on-one beatdown with Jericho being in the ring and continue trash-talking. But what Jericho doesn't know is that Ortiz will slide in the ring behind him, and once Jericho would turn around, Ortiz will hit Jericho in the face with a slapjack. And a slapjack is basically a sock... That has some type of heavy material inside of it. And you wax my in the head with it. Uh, Jericho will go down. Ortiz will pull out scissors out of his pocket. And he'll cut a piece of Jericho's hair. And then Jericho appreciates society members would run into the ring. And basically scare off Ortiz. Jericho would change his mind. And he says I'll give you your match. Blood and guts match. But on one condition. He wants to face Ortiz in a hair versus hair match. That gets agreed to, so Ortiz will have his match against Jericho on June 15th, while the Blood and Guz match will happen on June 29th. After that segment, we will get a 10-man tag matchup. It is the Young Bucks, Red Dragon, and Hikaleo going against Jurassic Express, Darby Allin, Christian, and Matt Hardy. Originally, it was supposed to be the Young Bucks, Red Dragon, and Adam Cole going against Jurassic Express, Christian, and the Hardy Boys, but uh, they had to pull... Jeff Hardy out of the matchup because Jeff Hardy is technically dealing with an injury at the moment, and they pulled Adam Cole out of the matchup because, well, Adam Cole is Adam Cole, and I'm not sure if he's injured or he's a little burnt a little bit right now, so they had him on commentary for this, and they mentioned on commentary how Adam Cole pulled some strings, and he talked with Jay White to uh, borrow Hikaleo for the night, so that's still playing on the Adam Cole dealing with Jay White, Bullet Club, former uh associates business here in which again i thought we would get into that at double nothing but that does not happen um the young bucks will win a match for their team red dragon will hit the high low on matt hardy then you see the young bucks hit the Mills driver on jungle boy for the win i mean it was a cool 10-man matchup i mean you're not really missing anything if you haven't not see it you didn't miss nothing really After this, you get Tony Schiavone interviewing Athena on the entrance stage. Athena talks about how the competition here is top tier, but she she points out Jay Cargill specifically. She talks about how she's going to be the one to beat Jay Cargill's streak and take the TBS title away from her. This will lead to Jay Cargill and her baddies and Stokely Hathaway to come out. Jade would get the mic and she would hand the mic over to Stokely. She calls him the best talker in the game. Stokely will talk about how he's Jade's publicist, and it's his job to inform everybody that Jade is a goddess, a queen, and our TBS champion. Stokely mentions how Athena wants her title shot, but it's not going to happen today. Then you will see Kiera Hogan get in the face of Athena. Then you see Anna Jade come out to stand right next to Athena. Then you see Red Velvet get in her face. Then you see Chris Lander come out and stand right next to Anna Jade and Athena. Stokely would know exactly what's about to happen. He calls for security to make sure nobody gets touched. Security separates all six ladies. And that's the end of the segment. So, again, we're getting Athena going against Jay Cargill somewhere down the line. I can see Athena being the one. Because, again, if Athena isn't the one, let's be honest, the only person left is literally Britt Baker. And I guarantee you the fan base is not going to be happy with Britt Baker being the one to beat and end jay cargill streak. so unless they got somebody else after athena if athena doesn't beat jade i i don't know what we're doing here to be honest i don't know uh after this we would get warlow going against jd drake this is warlow's first official and i put that in quotations here match as a member of the aew roster uh warlow will win the match by pinfall when he hits uh jd drake with two power bombs then puts his foot on him and the referee counts for the win After the match, Tony would come in to interview Warlow, but before he could say anything to Warlow, you would see Mark Sterling come out, and he has securities around him, and he would have one of the security guards serve Warlow with paperwork, and what he's serving him with is uh, papers for Warlow for weeks upon weeks, destroying and beating up security guards, so Warlow's getting sued by the security guards that he beat up. Warlow would basically powerbomb the security guard that handed him the paper, tear out the paper and we're gonna have to see what happens with this. This is just a little hurdle that we're doing for Warlow, to be honest with you. I see probably Tony needs to get in this to uh on un- to like beat up on Warlow a little bit and we're gonna see how we push Warlow because right now Warlow's not for the TBS champion. Not TBS, the TNT title yet. I don't know what we're gonna try to do with Warlow. This is just their uh field out process for Warlow right now. That's why I think we're in for Warlow at this moment. After this, we get a tag matchup of Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter with Rebel in their corner going against Ruby Soho and Tony Storm. Ruby will win the match for her team by pinfall, when she hits Britt with Destination Nowhere, which is that uh, new finish that she's been using, the spinning neckbreaker. She debuted, I believe, against uh, God, Riho in the Owen Hart tournament, and she does that to Britt here, and she ends up beating her here. After the match, Tony and Ruby would raise their hands in victory, but that would be short-lived when Jamie Hayter hit Tony Storm in the back with Britt Baker's Owen Hart title that she walked out here with. Then you see Britt grab Ruby by the leg, so Ruby had to just so Ruby couldn't maneuver out it anywhere. And then you see Jamie hit Ruby in the face with the title. You see Britt get the title away from Jamie. They will hug each other. Britt will hold the Owen Hart title in the air. Leave the ring. Nothing to really say about this. Only thing to really say about it is that Ruby finally beat Britt Baker. But I mean it's a tag match, not a one-on-one contest where it technically matters, but we'll see where this leads us down. Now, time for the main event. Daniel Garcia goes against John Moxley. And William Regal and Chris Jericho were on commentary for the matchup. Moxley would win the match by submission when at towards the end of the matchup, you see Moxley having an advantage over Garcia. You see Jericho leave the commentary team table run down to the ring get on the ring apron you see Kingston run down to the ring but he's almost slips and falls but he was able to catch himself grab Jericho off the ring apron start uh punching him a little bit this will turn to Moxley hitting Dale Garcia with a paradigm shift then apply the bulldog choke on Garcia and Garcia will pass out making the referee uh call for the bell. you will see after the match Kingston get in the ring with Moxley Moxley gets a mic and he says, Kingston you are a hard man to love, you know that, but I love you, and he announces that he's going to be joining Eddie Kingston in the Blood and gust match against uh, the Jericho Appreciation Society, so at this point in time, we now know that it's all five members of the Jericho Appreciation Society going against Eddie Kingston, Ortiz, Moxley, and it's still a question mark whether it will be Brian Danielson and Santana, because again, Kingston did not mention Santana, and he did mention how Brian Danielson is not talking to him at the moment. So that's where Dynamite ends off with good show. The most memorable thing about it, I believe, for years to come will be the MJF nuke or pipe bomb uh, situation. But again, we'll have to see where that uh, takes us here. But that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now on to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling will win a knockouts competition between Savannah Evans with the impact knockouts champion in a corner. Tasha Steeles going against Mia Yim with Deanna Peraza on commentary for this matchup. Mia would get the win by pinfall when Mia was in control of the match towards the end and Tasha Steeles would get on the ring apron and grab Mia by her ha- hair and yank her head on the top rope. The referee doesn't see this because he's distracted by Samantha Evans at this time. Tasha was trying to do more damage, but Jordan Grace would run down to come to Mia's side and take out Tasha steals. Savannah Evans would then try to hit Mia yen with a big boot, but Mia would duck it, grab Savannah Evans, hit her with eat defeat. That's basically putting her foot up on her uh, Savannah's face and then dropping back and basically Savannah's face hit Mia's boot. Mia would cover her and Mia won the matchup. This is gaining uh, Mia more momentum going into her matchup at Slammiversary, the Queen of the Mountain matchup with Tasha Steeles, Diana Perrazzo, Chelsea Green, Jordan Grace, and herself for the Knockouts uh, Women's Championship. So this is as momentum going into that pay-per-view at Slammiversary. After this, we had Kenny King going against Blake Christian. And the condition for this match was, if Blake wins this match against Kenny King, he will take King's spot in the Ultimate X match at Slammiversary. You had Trey Miguel on commentary for this matchup. Kenny King would win the match by pinfall when Blake would go for the 450 splash. Kenny King would put his knees up, and Blake would hit Kenny's knees. This will allow Kenny to hit a Snapdragon suplex, then hit the Royal Flush for the win. After the match, uh, the commentator would announce that the fifth participant in the Ultimate X match was Jack Evans. So, right now, at anniversary 4, the Ultimate X matchup for the exhibition championship you have the champion ace austin kenny king speedball mike bailey trey miguel jack evans and there's still one more slot to be filled for the six-man ultimate x match at slam anniversary i'm cool to have jack evans in this because he just got uh, released from aew i believe last month and jack seems like he would fit perfectly in the X Division landscape because he is a high flyer. He's one of the most uh, innovative high flyers in a long time. If people have checked out Jake Evans since early 2000s and even into the 2010s when he was in AAA, you know that he's one of the innovators of this high flying uh, stuff that people like to do. So him being an impact with the Ultimate X style and with the X Division, it seems like a perfect fit for him. After this, we will have a matchup between Matthew Ray Walt going against Rich Swann. Before the match began, as Rich was making his way down to the ring, they let everybody know that Rich Swann is officially the digital media champion. They show footage of him beating Matt Cardona at a Wrestling Revolver show. That's an indie show. Um, he beats Matt Cardona there to become the digital media champion, but Rich Swann does not have the championship with him at his Impact uh show because Matt Cardona would attack him from behind at the wrestling revolver show and steal the championship. So Matt Cardona still has possession of the championship, but he is not the champion. The digital media champion is Rich Swan. Rich would win this matchup against Ray uh, Ray Waltz by pinfall when Rich would hit a handspring cutter, then go to the second turnbuckle, hit a Phoenix splash on Ray Waltz for the win. After this, you will hear the Good Brothers come down to the ring. For their in-ring promo. They mentioned that they will get their tag title matchup. Against the Briscoes at Slammiversary. Then they begin to mention. How they have been all over the world. Wrestling in all these famous arenas. They start naming them. They name Madison Square Garden. Uh, Tokyo Dome in Tokyo, Japan. The O2 Arena in British. Well, London. And the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Arabia where they won the greatest tag team uh, tournament. When they got a trophy. They mentioned that. They gave Briscoes their props by calling them bad dudes, saying they won championships all over the world. They won them in Japan. They won them in Ring of Honor. But that's where the props end, because the Briscoes would go on to mock them by calling them farmers while the Good Brothers are headlining arenas. The Good Brothers would then show a video package of their top 10 moments since they have been in Impact. The package would start off when whenever they debuted in Impact, then show them winning the tag titles their first time and their second time. Then their moments from seven to two is the exact same moment of them beating the Briscoes at the Multiverse of Madness. And you see the Briscoes come out and they call the Good Brothers soft. Jay Briscoe gets the mic and he mentions how the Briscoes get up and they grind when they aren't winning tag titles everywhere. They're at home busting their butts being farmers while the Good Brothers are sitting at their houses and they're getting comfy uh carl would tell jay that they came out here and they stepped on their toes before they were able to show the people their number one moment in impact wrestling he tells gallows to give him a drum roll gallows does it and the number one moment is when they beat the briscoes so again they're taking the briscoes as a joke jay says see that's your problem right there you take things for jokes and that's the reason why you don't have the tag titles and we do this will lead to a brawl between both teams with the Briscoes getting the, the advantage on the good brothers with the good brothers, basically retreating out of the ring and going up the ramp. So the Briscoes have momentum going into their matchup at Slammiversary. After this, we have a tag team matchup, Matt Taven and Mike Bennett representing honor no more going against Heath and Rhino with Eddie Edwards on commentary for this matchup. Matt Taven would win the match for his team by pinfall when all four men were in the ring and Mike, Bennett would hit Heath with a forearm that would knock him down. Then you would see Bennett hit Rhino with a super kick, and then Matt Taven would grab Rhino, hit the climax, which is a headlock driver, for the win. After the match, Eddie Edwards would leave commentary table and come in the ring with a chair and attack Rhino's leg multiple times. The rest of Honor No would then come out and help Eddie Edwards, Matt Taven, and Mike Bennett beat up on Heath and Rhino. Taven would go outside of the ring, grab two more chairs from underneath the ring, and Eddie would put Rhino's leg in a chair. Taven and Bennett would then hit Rhino's leg with a steel chair, leaving Rhino screaming in agony. You would then see Kaz, Alex Shelley, and Chris Sabin run down to the ring, and then Honor No More would see this and leave the ring, and Honor No More would be walking up the ramp as Kaz, Shelley, and Sabin would be there with Rhino trying to calm Rhino down, but Rhino just constantly just is, like, yelling and, like, huffing in agony just because he got his leg beat up on with multiple chair shots we would then see rhino get put in an ambulance Heath rides off with rhino you see scott demore Sabin, shelly and kaz watches rhino's ambulance leave and then you see Saban tell scott demore that they want honor no more at slammiversary scott gives them their match and tells them it's going to be a 10-man match five members of honor no more going against those three and two more partners of their choosing but the only condition that it has to be former or current guys that were in Impact Wrestling. So that leaves a plethora, and I mean plethora of people, because there has been numbers of people coming into Impact or TNA for one-shot deals or coming in for a time where people just forget that they were there. And like I said, they have a lot of people to choose. So we'll see who they pick as their partners for their match of anniversary. Now it's time for the main event. Moose and Steve Macklin going against the team of W. Morrissey and PCO. Macklin would win the match for his team by pinfall when Moose and Morrissey were the legal men towards the end of the match and Moose was leaning on the turnbuckle. Morrissey would charge at him. Macklin would move Moose out of the way. Moose would put Morrissey on the top turnbuckle and then hang him upside down. You would then see Macklin tag himself in. PCO would run over to Moose and clothesline both him and Moose out of the ring. Macklin will get in the ring, spear Morrissey, then hit a suicide dive on PCO, then grab Morrissey, hit a double underhook DDT to pin and beat Morrissey. After the match, PCO will get in the ring and he will clothesline Macklin dropping Macklin. Moose will get in the ring, spear PCO, and then the lights will go out. Once the lights pop back on, Sammy will be standing in the middle of the ring as Moose will be waiting for Sammy right there in the corner because Moose anticipated Sammy to pop out. So Moose will run towards Sammy and leap, looking to hit him with a spear. But Sammy would hit Moose in the head with the baseball bat, laying Moose out. Sammy would then declare that every time Moose comes out here, he has a date with the death machine. And that's it. Sammy has made his uh, priorities known that every time Moose is out here, you're gonna see Sammy Callahan. And also, it seems to me that they want to do something with Steve Macklin. It seems like they're trying to push Steve Maglin to be that next guy to challenge for the heavyweight championship. So just know that Maglin's gonna get a title shot probably after Slam Anniversary. And that was your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to SmackDown. When we get to SmackDown, we open up with a new day promo to talk about um beating up the brawling brutes, which consists of Sheamus, uh Rich Holland, and Bush. That's their group name. And they talk about how they beat them up last week. All thanks to one man in particular joining them. And it's because of Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre will come out and say he's happy to be back on SmackDown. And that he was around uh, Europe basically being the spokesperson for WWE. And Drew calls a shot. He says that he'll be challenging for the undisputed WWE Universal Heavyweight Championship at the Castle at the Cardiff uh, show in September. So that's already been predicted by everybody. It just now be officially confirmed by WWE and Drew McIntyre here. Uh, Drew and New Day would then go into a slew of jokes about genitalia because Drew McIntyre is supposed to be called Big D. So you get the drift of that. Then you would get the Brawling Brutes coming out here. Sheamus makes a big claim to Drew McIntyre saying that you shouldn't be challenging for the championship. It should be me at the show, and I'm going to prove it to you why it should be me. So we get into our next matchup now. We're going to get a rematch of the match that happened last week. The New Day and Drew McIntyre going against the Brawling Brutes. This time it will be a different outcome. Butch would win the match for his team when he hit the bitter end on Xavier Woods for the win. So we're probably going to get another one of these matches again next week on SmackDown. That's usually how this whole philosophy thing works. After this, we would get the matchup of Humberto and Angel Garza in this corner going against Jinder Mahal who has Shanky in his corner and the thing with this is that Gender is trying to make sure that Shanky doesn't dance. He wants Sh- uh, Shanky to be serious and not be a dancing fool. But that would basically give Gender the win here because Gender would win the match by pinfall when Gender was in control of the match. And then you see Shanky dancing on the r- uh, outside of the ring. Gender would yell at Shanky, tell him to quit dancing. This would allow Humberto to roll up Gender, but Gender would kick out. And Shanky would get on the ring apron to strike the referee you would see Humberto go over to Shanky and yell at him to get down off the apron. Gender would run over to Humberto, roll him up. Shanky would get off the ring apron. The referee would count to three. Jinder wins the match. After this, you would see Gender leave the ring, and he's standing around. This is Shanky. Shanky grabs Gender's hand, raise it in the air, and you see Shanky start dancing. Gender looks at Shanky dancing, and he just starts walking away, and you start seeing him hit a, like, a small, smug grin on his face. So you might be seeing Gender going more over to the way of dancing somewhere down the line. I think that's where we're going with gender. Instead of him being like this serious guy all the time, we're going to see him be a little bit of a goofball. I see that's where we're going. Shanky will see gender walk away, and then you see him turn his attention to Samantha Irvin, who is the SmackDown ring announcer, and he starts dancing in front of her like he did last week. And this time, Samantha gets up and joins and dance with him. So we're starting to see... Shanky went over the crowd because before they go to commercial break, you see people start chanting for Shanky. So you could tell that they want to get the fans to go over with Shanky and is slowly working like week by week. After this, we would get our six-woman scramble challenge matchup of Natalia, Shotzi, Aliyah, uh ziya Lee, Shana Baszler, and Raquel Rodriguez. Uh, all of them in this one match, and the winner would get a SmackDown Women's Championship matchup against Ronda Rousey, who was out here watching the matchup. Natalia would win the match by pinfall when Raquel would hit Shotzi with the Tijano bomb, but Shayna Baszler would get on Raquel's back and hit her with a coquina clutch, basically a sleeper hold, and Natalia would basically crawl over and pin Shotzi for the win. After the match, you will see Ronda getting in the ring and have a face-off with Natalya. So, this is going to be a good one because Natalya trained Ronda Rousey and she's been helping Ronda get better in the ring. So, it's going to be more of a friend versus friend, mentor versus student-esque type match that you're going to see from Ronda and Natalya. And that should be fun to see. After this, we will get a mad cap. Moss uh, in-ring promo, he comes out of an ambulance and he's not wearing suspenders. He's not wearing any of those goofy clothings that he would be wearing when he was with uh, Corbin. No, he's out here wearing plain black trunks, black wrist tape, and I even believe black boots. So this shows you that he has a more serious side to him. He would talk about how happy Corbin put him on the shelf two weeks ago by putting a chair on his uh, throat and having the Andre the Giant trophy smashed on his throat. And he talked about that at that moment, Corbin killed the Madcap Moss persona, this happy-go-lucky guy. Now you have the serious butt-kicking Ma, Madcap, who just goes by Madcap. No more Moss, just Madcap. He would call Corbin out so he could kick his butt. Corbin would come out, and Corbin's out here being arrogant, telling Madcap that the real reason he's out here is because Madcap misses Corbin. Madcap misses the structure that Corbin gave to his life, and Madcap is going to be out here begging for his job, and Corbin says he'll think about it. Madcap says, the only reason why I called you out here is so I can have you come down to this ring, so I can kick your teeth down your throat. So then you get Adam Pearce coming out, and he'll make the match official. We would get Madcap versus Happy Corbin right now. Happy Corbin would win the match by pinfall when Corbin was on the outside of the ring, grab a steel chair, looking to hit Mad Cat with it, but Mad Cat would kick Corbin in the gut, grab the steel chair, hit Corbin in the back with it, and then you see the ref ring the bell. Mad Cat will beat Corbin mercilessly with the steel chair, and then he will go outside, grab the steel steps, and he will try to do the exact same thing that Corbin did to him, but. As soon as he has a chair wrapped around Corbin's throat and he's starting to lift up the steel steps, you would see Adam Pearce and all these other officials run down to separate uh, Madcap before he could do that. And this allows Corbin to sneak out of the ring and start walking up the ramp with referee's help. So Corbin at least escapes for tonight because later we would see Adam Pearce meet up with Happy Corbin and tell him that they're going to run this match back again. At Hell in a Cell, but this time it'll be a no-holds-barred match, so we'll see if Madcap gets his revenge on that. More than likely, he will. After this, it's time for the main event of SmackDown, the Undisputed Tag Team Championship matchup. The Usos going against Riddle and Nakamura. During the match, the Usos would take out Nakamura when Nak would go for the Kinshasa and Jay Uso, who was on the outside of the ring, and Jay would move and Nak's knee would hit the steel steps. Jimmy would then run over, grab Nakamura, and hold him while Jay would leap up and stomp Nakamura behind his knee. This would make the referee come out of the ring, check on Nakamura, and notice that Nakamura can't continue, and he'll throw the X up, so a referee and some officials would come out and help Nakamura get to the back, so Riddle would go on to face the Usos by himself, two-on-one competition here. The Usos would win the match by pinfall and distraction, when Riddle was on the top turnbuckle with Jimmy Uso, and then you would see Roman's music hit, you would see Riddle turn his head towards the entrance ramp. Everybody in the arena thought, we were going to see Roman here, but it was only a distraction because when everybody was looking at the ramp, you would see Jay sneakily go up and tag himself in. So he was not the legal man. Riddle would hit a super RKO on Jimmy, and once Riddle's back hit the mat. You'll see Jay jump off the top turnbuckle and hit an Uso splash on Riddle. Pin him for the one, two, three. After the match, we would go to the production truck and see that Sammy Zane had them play Roman's music to distract uh, Riddle. Remember, Sammy is an honorary member of the Bloodline, and he talked about last week how if they need anything, he'll always be there, and he just wants the same thing in return. So, once the Usos walk up the ramp, they're met by a happy Sami Zayn. Sami hugs the Usos. You see Riddle run out of the ring and start going up the ramp and attack the Usos and Sami. Referees and officials will come out to separate all men. And that's how SmackDown ends with Riddle pissed off because he did not win the tag titles because he got screwed again. And more than less, we're going to see Riddle somewhere down the line get his comeuppance on the Usos. And more or less, he'll face Roman Reigns later, but that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now, on to AEW Rampage. The Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks will start off in a hot tag match because the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks have so much in-ring uh, history with each other, and even on commentary, they mention how uh, they this team and this matchup has happened eight times, and out of those eight times, the Lucha Brothers has won five of those matches, so right now, the Young Bucks are down in this but the Young Bucks would win the match by pinfall when they hit the missile driver on Phoenix, but Phoenix would kick out. Penta would do the Zero Mero taunt in Matt Jackson's face. Matt would quickly take Penta's mask off his face. Penta, not wanting to let the whole world see his face, covers his face with his hands. The Young Bucks would double superkick Penta in the face, knocking him down. Then you see the Young Bucks then go over to Phoenix, hit the BTE trigger on him, then cover him for the win. So the Young Bucks are now four and nine against the Lucha Brothers. So they're slowly trying to catch their way up to this. So again, the Lucha Brothers, Young Bucks, have a lot of in-ring chemistry with each other. And this match did not disappoint. They always uh, exceed expectations when these two have a match against each other. After this, we will have Powerhouse Hob and Ricky Starks going against two unknown local guys. They don't even name these guys' names because Powerhouse and Starks get in the ring, and they just start beating on these two guys. This match didn't even last long. This was a legit, quick matchup when Hobbs would hit one of the guys with a spine buster, pin him, and as that was happening, you see Ricky Starks pin the other guy. No, not pin the other guy, but spear the other guy, and Hobbs wouldn't match for the team. So, Hobbs, Starks, got their winning percentage up. So there you go. After this, we would get Kiara Hogan with Jade, Red Velvet, and Stokely Hathaway in her corner as she goes against Athena, who was making her AEW in-ring debut. Athena would win the match by pinfall when she would hit Kiara with the jumping stunner off the top turnbuckle for the win. Uh, Kiara had a nice showing in this match. She was able to give Athena a lot. This wasn't like your squash, like Athena comes in, beat up on somebody. No, they actually had a competitive competition between both of the ladies, and I was happy to see that, and this also is laying groundwork for Athena to be the one to potentially take the TBS title off of Jay's shoulder, but we shall see what happens in the future. Next, we would get an in-ring promo from the AEW World Champion CM Punk, and it was speculated throughout the day that uh, Punk was going to either relinquish the title or something because there was rumors that he injured himself, but Punk will be out here to clarify that. Punk comes out here. You can see that he's walking with a limp. He's not feeling like Punk. When he gets in the ring, you can see his face. Underneath his eyes are red, and you can tell that either he cried in the back or he wants to cry in the middle of the ring because the fans are chanting for seeing Punk. They know that something's not Right here, Punk is like soaking in the crowd, chanting for him. Punk ultimately lets everybody know that he has good news and he has bad news. The bad news is uh, he's injured. He has a broken bone, but he doesn't specify what bone is broken, and he lets everybody know that he has to have surgery for it. Um, he lets everybody know that he told Tony Khan before he came out here that he wasn't going to hold this place up and he's going to be relinquishing the championship. And Punk does mention that the good news is he will come back stronger, faster, and hungrier than before. And that was basically Punk's whole in-ring promo here. But the thing with it is that Punk is still your AEW World Champion because during the main event of Rampage, we would get clarification because Excalibur will let everybody know that per Tony Khan's order... uh dynamite this upcoming episode we will get a battle royal at the beginning of dynamite and then the winner will be facing john moxley since he is the number one ranked person for the aew world championship and the main event of dynamite and then the winner of that matchup will face tanahashi at uh forbidden doors and they will wrestle for the interim aew world champion So CM Punk is technically still your world champion. He is going to be your world champion until he comes back, and then he will face the interim champion, and then we will have a unification matchup between both champions. So that's at least a bright light to this. Punk didn't technically relinquish the title, so he's still world champion. That makes just uh, the whole situation much more better because now it gives everybody the opportunity of, okay who's going to be the interim world champion or is it going to be Brian Danielson? Will it be a John Moxley? Will it be an Adam Cole? Will we get a hangman taking back the uh, interim title? Will we get a uh, surprising Wardlow? Will we get somebody that we have, don't think of Will we get Miro? I mean, this opens up a lot of doors. Will we even get pack? Who knows? It opens up a lot of doors and I'm particularly can't wait to uh, next Wednesday on Dynamite to see what we get. After it's now it's time for the main event of Rampage for the TNT Championship. Scorpio Sky with Dan Landberg and Ethan Page in his corner going against Dante Martin who had Matt Sidell in his corner. Scorpio Sky will win the match by pinfall when he hits the TKO on Dante Martin, pin him, and retains the TNT Championship. So again, this matchup was good. You know what it is. Dante Martin high flying. Scorpio Sky is going to be ground and pounding him. And the thing is, you could tell the AEW is putting a lot of eggs in the basket of Dante Martin. It seems that in almost every high pressure moment, they always want to throw in Dante Martin. Just let everybody know that, Hey, this is our guy that we're going with. This is a guy that we see a lot in our future with. So again, Dante Martin is constantly getting these big matches. I believe Last year, he went against Kenny Omega. This year, early on, he went against uh, Hangman Page for the World Championship. I mean, they're constantly throwing this kid a lot of bones, and I'm cool with it. Because, again, they're putting stock into their future of the company, and that's a good thing as a business owner. So that was your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, on to uh, predictions for NXT in your house and. Hell in a Cell that's happening this weekend. NXT In Your House will be happening tonight. And the predictions for that go as, goes as fo- follows. For the NXT North American Championship, you have Cameron Grimes going against Carmelo Hayes, who will be having Trick Williams in this corner. I'm going off it specifically real bright and real simple. I'm going with Cameron Grimes to beat Carmelo Hayes. It's nothing against Carmelo. I think that Carmelo needs to be set for the world title now. He doesn't need to be going back for the North American title. And also, Cameron Grimes is still early into his uh reign so I don't see them having him like drop the title back to Carmelo Hayes no time soon to be honest with you. After that you'll have the NXT tag titles matchup of uh, Pretty Deadly going against the Kree Brothers. The condition is the Kree Brothers lose they're out of diamond mind and Pretty Deadly's gonna win this. Pretty Deadly again another situation. They just won the tag titles because of unfortunate uh circumstances of MSK But. They just won the tag titles. And again, usually in wrestling, you don't have your champions lose uh their titles like off their second reign, especially them being just gaining it what a month ago-ish. So I see Pretty Deadly winning, and I see the Kree Brothers like leaving out a diamond mine, and I see the Kree Brothers probably taking Ivy Nile with them, and it's gonna lead Roddy to do something. I don't know what, but that's just my prediction on that. Uh, Toxic Attraction going against uh, Katana Chance and Kaden Carter for the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. I see Katana Chance and Kaden Carter winning this. The reason why I'm giving that to them is because they have been a tag team for longer than any other women tag team in NXT uh, situation. They have been champions. Well, not champions. They have always been the challengers. They have always been the team that's always like at that glass ceiling, but they haven't ever cracked it or anything like that, I think this is the perfect opportunity to give them the championships. If not, hurry up and split them and let Caden do her thing and let Katana try to do her thing or call them up to the main roster because those tag titles need somebody, some new fresh faces, some new blood since you guys suspended Sasha and Naomi indefinitely or whatever the crap WWE is still doing with them at the moment because, again... Those tag titles need somebody since Sasha and Naomi, the two most popular females on the main roster, are not there. I think Kaden and Katana at least can breathe in some new blood to the top uh, main roster people if you don't give them the tag titles here. Mandy Rose versus Wendy Chu for the NAC Women's Championship. I see uh, Mandy winning it. I don't see them handing it off to Wendy Chu. I think they want to give Mandy a lengthy... Title reign just to shove it in people's faces to let people know that Mandy is good in the ring. And uh, that's the reason why I'm going with Mandy here. Six man tag match. Uh, Legato, Death Fantasma going against Tony, D'Angelo, and his crew. And the stipulation is losing team joins the winning team stable. I'm going with Tony's team winning this and have Legato join under Tony, and D'Angelo, because again, they're pushing Tony as this Don of NXT, the big man, the big kahuna for NXT. And I don't see them having him lose to Santos' group. He already lost to Santos' one-on-one. And I think with the six-man situation, I think you are able to play around with more participants in a matchup. So I'm going with Tony's uh, crew to do this. Main event time. Braun Breaker going against Joe Gacy, NXT Championship. If Braun is destroyed, he loses the championship. Braun's winning this. Hands down, Joe Gacy is not winning this. I think Joe's going to try to do everything he can to make Braun snap and get disqualified here. But Braun's going to figure out a way not to snap, but snap so much that he at least is going to beat Gacy up to a point that Gacy might pass out. I would like to see that happen. Beat up Gacy to a point that he passes out. The referee has to call for the bell. And Braun is still your champion. But that's just my thing. Braun is still going to be champion. I don't care how you do it. Braun is still gonna be champion. Now it's time for the Hell in Cell uh, predictions. Uh, triple threat match for the Raw Women's Championship: Bianca Belair, Asuka, Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair. She just technically won her championship at WrestleMania. She did not defend it at WrestleMania Backlash, and this is her big, uh, big first matchup since winning the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania. I don't see her dropping this at all. I see her retaining it. I don't know who she's gonna pin. To retain her title, I personally don't care. I think the money matchup that we're waiting for is for Bianca to go against Asuka technically on a main event card. And if not Asuka, I see them revving it up for Bianca Belair going against Rhea Ripley. So Bianca still being your Raw Women's Champion. Uh, Bobby Lashley versus Omos and MVP. Omos and MVP. Bobby Lashley is dominant. He's almighty. I'm not sure if he's still delivered an injury or not. But if he is, this could be the perfect time to write him off with the 2-on-1 beatdown assault. So I'm going with Oman's MVP to beat Bobby Lashley. Ezekiel versus Kevin Owens. Ezekiel. Ezekiel's winning this. Kevin Owens is going to continue going on to his uh, Descent of Madness. And he might have one more passenger by the end of the night going on with him on the ride to uh, the Descent of Madness. Theory versus Mustafa Ali for the uh, United States Championship. I can see them giving this win to uh, Ali since they're having this uh, event in Chicago, and Ali is a Chicago guy. This is his home turf. I can see them giving him this win so he can have that hometown crowd uh, cheering for him, and they actually cheer for Ali for this great moment. So I'm going with Mustafa Ali. Uh, Six-person mixed tag match. Finn Balor, AJ, and Liv going against Judgment Day. Uh, You know what? For the past two past two pay-per-views i have been going against edge constantly i went against edge at wrestlemania and i went against edge at backlash god do i want to go against edge right now and say aj and balor and live but i gotta go to judgment day i gotta go with them because i feel that something's gonna happen here for the last two pay-per-views also we've had members of judgment day pop up damian priest did it at mania Rhea Ripley did it at Backlash, and I feel that we're going to have one more person joining Judgment Day here, and it could be Finn Balor turning on them, or it could be somebody new that we haven't thought about popping in and joining Judgment Day here. I don't know. I don't care how they finagle or uh, finesse it. I just know that if I don't see a new member of Judgment Day by the end of this pay-per-view, I probably might be a little bit disappointed. not going to lie to you. So, uh, Judgment Day, going with us. Madcap versus Happy Corbin, No Holds Barred, Madcap, simple, easy, Madcap's coming for vengeance, and No Holds Barred matchup works for a person that comes back for vengeance, so Madcap's winning this, and then the main event for Hell in a Cell, the Hell in a Cell matchup, Cody Rhodes versus Seth friggin' Rollins, Cody Rhodes is winning this, he's going clean sweep, 3-0, beating Seth, and this is going to lead Seth going on to his descent of madness, Seth's going to go mad, because he could not beat Cody Rhodes in either high stakes matchup and even though I feel that Cody is going to see Seth play some like uh devious insecurity move on Cody either coming out in some type of stardust gear that's what I'm hoping that Seth's going to do because he said he's going to prey on Cody's insecurities and one of Cody's insecurities when he left out of here was that he couldn't be himself he had to go in that stardust character he wasn't released he, WWE Vince McMahon will not let him go and let him be and let him be himself. So I can see Seth grabbing and taking hold of the Stardust gear, putting it into his gear a little bit, and probably even put the little bit of the American dream Cody's father stuff into his gear as well. And prey on that because Cody has always ran away from the fact that he's Dusty's son in the way of I'll never live up to my father. That's another insecurity that Cody has. So I can see Seth playing with that. But in the end, I see Cody beating up on Seth inside the Hell in a Cell. And I think we're going to get some blood here. I think this is going to be one of those matches. And I think this is going to be one of those instances that Vince and WWE is going to be like, you know what? Uh, We're going to let some blood fly here. Either Cody's going to bleed or Seth's going to bleed. One or the two, I just think that we're going to get some blood here in this Hell in a Cell. And I think that's going to be real refreshing from uh, previous Hell in the Cells that we've had. For years past with no blood being in it so cody's gonna win that now those have been my uh predictions this has been wrestling highlights of the week presented by my two cents podcast hosted by g2 i love you all i hope you guys have a great saturday i hope you guys tune into my sunday episode and that's gonna be titled obligations where i talk about uh different things more shootings uh the amber heard johnny depp trial uh monique vio hugley situation but that's only if you check out the Sunday episode, basically tomorrow. And if you don't, check out the Monday episode that's gonna be coming up on Monday where I give you my uh, review of In Your House and Hell in the Cell. Also, if you feel suicidal, please call the National Suicide Hotline. It is in the description where you click the, listen to the podcast, it's there. Please, I want people to live. I want people to continue living and not uh, try to exit out of this earth Faster than they need to, because you are a beacon of hope and a bright light to uh, somebody's life. I guarantee you of that. Now, with that being said, I love you guys. Hope you guys have a great Saturday. And um, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired? Uh-huh. Jesus I- wept.